JT. JT Faith Radio. Yeah. JT Faith Radio. Hey everybody, this is John. This is Tyler. And this is Brad. And this is Wandering Thoughts. Today we have we have an interesting show for you. We're gonna ask a very difficult question. And from that point, we're we're gonna dive off into uh, three different areas of that question. But I wanted to ask, and it was something I'd heard the other day on, on a, I believe it or not, on, on a on a newscast. But this guy pops up and says, "I think Satan is winning." So the question is, is Satan winning in the world in which we live today? And and so it started off in a newscast. So I want to kind of talk about it in, in that genre because news usually covers politics, and that's what they were kind of talking about. Um. And we're not talking a left versus right issue. We're just talking politics in general. So it, it's it's not a slam on on the left or the right. It's just the idea of if Satan is winning, how is Satan winning? Tyler, Good stop question. playing with things. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if we're gonna break it down from what I first thought that I had is how do we decide winning from losing? Period. If we're playing tug of war. The devil's on one side, Satan's on one side, we're on the other. You got the line down the middle, you got the little string hanging on the rope. Okay. What's what's the line, first of all, to de- before we determine whether the flag's on the one side or the other? The winning side or the losing side, where's the line? I, I think, for me, anyway, and, and I don't know what you think, Brad, but it, it, you would have to almost look at it from the standpoint of, to the left or to the right, winning or losing towards Satan or, or towards the other side is what you said. Yeah. Common decency towards one another. Are we able to communicate with one another even in our differences? And and how would you quantify that? How, where, where would you put like Tyler's saying the flag in the middle on the row and you're, you're pulling it back and forth. Where do you put the boundaries of okay once you get that flag to here the game's over. You see what I'm saying? How, yeah. how do we quantify? I, I think if we get to a point where we can't return Okay, I mean, would that be would that be agreeable? Yeah, but what's our point of no return? I mean, that's still a, a broad statement. Do you have do, do you still have hope? Ooh, <laughs> have we achieved hopelessness? Yeah, I mean, are we to the point where we're so disenchanted with with um, our interpersonal our interpersonal uh, skills, our our way of, of dealing with one another that we've lost? All mercy, all grace, and all hope in in humanity, in a way to speak that um, we were not we're not able to communicate with one another anymore. And, and, and like for example, I was watching <clears throat> I was watching CNN, and, the, and the, the commentator actually said, "Is there a way to bring civility back to to politics? Is there a way to bring civility civility back to the to the?" common people who are having discussions or well right now yelling at each other and most of the panel said they hoped there was a way but one person stood there and said that as long as you agree with my facts then there is so it's that postmodern subjective fact as opposed to objective fact you know facts are what i say they are not what they not in an absolute does that make sense tyler does that sound good to you as, uh, as sort of one of the boundaries? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. So in, in is Satan winning in 
the political speech from politicians to news to the every everyday on the street person. So do we want to take those separately? Or do we want to take I, it collectively? I would I would say collectively, yes. Okay. <clears throat> collectively Satan's winning. Co- collectively in that sphere. Right. Satan's winning. Yeah. I, I all all the way from Hillary Clinton making a statement that uh, how do you how, or how do you act civilly to someone that wants to destroy everything you believe in? Well, and, and yeah, um, and and not not to slam the left again. Again, just in the broader sense, why do we have to consider that the other side of politics is out to destroy everything that you believe in? I I can still believe in what I believe in regardless of what the atheists say. Right. So they're not trying to destroy anything I believe in as far as I'm concerned. Right. So I, I will treat them civilly. Flip that around, and I, I don't think there's so much civility on that side because they do want to destroy everything I believe in. But Well, and, and I'll, I'll take that a little further as well because when I was an atheist, I didn't seek to destroy anybody. Now, if you brought the conversation to me, we're, we can go toe-to-toe. We can have that discussion. I can I can try to, you know, as I used to say, I can make a Christian cry in 30 seconds and doubt their faith in a minute and a half. And and that's that's actually a problem in Christianity today. We don't know how to, to defend our faith. We don't know our faith well enough. That That's a whole other subject, maybe. Right. But when when I was an atheist, I want to tell you something. If somebody is actually offended at the cross that you wear or offended by your religious beliefs, they're not an atheist. They're mad at God. Because a true atheist, how can something that does not exist offend me? Well, a case in point, uh, there's a, a group out of, I guess it's Pennsylvania or somewhere up north like that, the Freedom From Foundation Religion. Okay. Freedom From Religion foundation they actually went to wilmore and tried to file a lawsuit because wilmore kentucky has a cross on top of the water tower right that's not bothering anybody in in my opinion that like when you were an atheist that would have never bothered you no why is it bothering these people yeah when i was an atheist i went to church i mean somebody would invite me to go and and it, this is, I think I was set up to be honest with you. But so this guy invites me to church. I go and he introduces me to the preacher. And he says, "Oh, by the way, he's an atheist." <laughs> and so the guys, the the preacher's interested about it, right? And he says, "So what did you think about the service today?" And I said, "Well, I said to be honest with you, it's no more than a social club." And he says, "What do you mean?" I said, "It's exactly like the Rotary, and I'll explain this." You had about 80 or 90 people here today. Yes. How many of them do the work of the church? About 20. Right. 15 or 20, right? I can go to the Rotary Club with 60 members, 10 or 15 do the work, and I have to go to the meeting, listen to a speech, and then go to lunch. What's the difference? Now, the answer we know, right? Right. I can offer you something that the Rotary Club can't offer you. Right. He he actually agreed with me at the time. And I think really and truly he was struggling with his own walk because he I think a good preacher would have not let that go. But he did. And and that was something that that I think from from my background 
I look at looked at it as it's a social club, and and my ministry has been to try not to have that happen, right? In the pulpit, I teach, I teach, I teach, I teach, so that you can go out and defend, defend, defend. Well, because I feel like we've hit a very strong point here in this conversation of we're quick to when we ask the question, "Is Satan winning?" We're quick to want to start looking at external factors for the argument, and we're slow to look at internal factors for the argument. The church itself, okay. membership, where have we failed in the last, in the fight, if you will, or the um, in this contest of whether Satan's winning or losing? Okay. And where has the people in the pulpits failed in the last generation after generation? Okay. All well, the way up until. We're going to have you hold that because well, we're, we're going to be going into the church. Oh, okay. Part of the conversation. Well, I was getting there already. You yeah. went there. Well, we mind. did. You, but, you know, you're, you're dealing it's, with two ADHD right. people, right? Right. And I'm keeping the bubbles <laughs> in the air. As best you can, As anyway. As best I can. That's right. <laughs> so that's, but seriously, I mean, that's, you know, we're quick to look at the external factors in any problem. Mm. No matter what situation it is in our life, it's quick to point out, well, what he did or what she did or. But we don't want to look at ourselves, and it's the same way as the church as a whole. We want to look at all these external factors of what's waging war against Christianity, but we're not quick to look at the damage that we have done ourselves. We've turned it into a social club. Okay. You were right as an atheist. Right. Not every church, and I'm not speaking – I'm speaking in generalities. Right. But, yes, generally so. And on the pulpit side of it, how many Sunday mornings could you sit in a church somewhere and what you hear the, the man or woman saying is no different than what you would hear at a Rotary Club meeting. That's what's... You know, in, 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 in some truthfully. pulpits, I think you're, you're right. But I know There's I not necessarily all pulpits, obviously. No, I'm speaking in generalities. I'm right. saying it could be, you know, I'm not sp- specifically pinpointing a pulpit. I'm saying, and, and same whether, I mean, and of course, we're quick or easy to get off from that into your prosperity gospel, you know, is damage alone that that has done to the church. And that's what took me to Scripture. I like going to Scripture. My goodness. Oh, really? Second Timothy tells us this. Um, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but have but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and at how many in how many pulpits do we only hear the same message again and again and again? God loves you. Yeah. And and we beat that right. horse and we beat that horse yep. and we beat that horse. Um, <clears throat> we had a, a preaching professor at seminary at Asbury, and and he would come out and he would say of the lectionary calendar, there are other ways to preach the Bible. Right. Right. And they're all wrong. <laughs> right. And and then to to me and and this is the way I like to preach when I'm in the lectionary. <clears throat> It keeps you away from the same message again and again and again that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Yes, God loves you. You know that or you wouldn't be coming to church. Now what? 
now what? Now we begin to work towards our perfection in the Wesleyan tradition, and and, and we begin to work out our own salvation right. in the Pauline tradition. So it, it it is a Tyler, you've you've taken us to a place we don't like to go. Instead of looking out, now we have to, to look, look in, in with That's a little right. introspection. But it's the truth. It it is. It I is mean, the I truth. Mean, and not only that, but in in that, I mean, how many? I mean, you can break that into two parts. But how many pulpits based around preaching what people want to hear? You know, what benefit has that really gave the church? Just due to the fact they're preaching only what they want to hear. Well, and you know, and we're we're we're, we're not going to name names or anything, but but you and I went to a worship that, service that's exactly at the end was, of September, yeah, yeah. and the comment about their pastor on the pastor they they did their pastor appreciation day that Sunday yeah. was that he tells us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. That's right. That was the congregation's com- that was their comment towards their preacher, and yeah. that's. And that's a pretty strong comment, to be that honest. That is, and it might be rare these days. And, you know, that's when we're talking about God loves you, I, the thing that I will tell you is that 52 weeks a year, you're going to hear me say God loves you. But before we get to that point, <laughs> the toes are going to hurt. Yeah. Because when you go through the lectionary, you're looking at all the things that we should be doing and that we're not. Right. Or that we are doing, and it's a, it's a, it's one of those woe or them type scriptures, and we're going, hmm, yeah, that's kind of us, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But that at the end of it, God loves you and wants you wants you to be wants you to be rectified. God wants you and wants you to be made whole and healed, and or loves you and wants you to be whole and healed. And and so we we find that that the the message that God loves you is is okay. But when that's the only message we give. And there's there's no no message of repentance, no message of, of um, sin and forgiveness and, and things of that nature. Well, then we miss out on the entirety of the gospel. I mean, and Paul, we preach Christ crucified. Yes. And, and and what more is there? Yes, God loves us. God went to the cross for us. There is our chance for redemption. And and to me, that's. That's one of the messages that is not preached enough that brings us back to the topic of is Satan winning is Satan, Satan winning? winning and and the to to jump into the church, we are not pushing Christ crucified nearly enough because that's where Satan's defeat came from, right. That's the defeat of Satan right there. So yes, God loves us. Yes, God wants us, yes. But Christ crucified is the the ultimate defeat of Satan. So Satan already lost in that realm. Right, right, and and I think that that the the idea that us not preaching the whole of the gospel, um, and and when I say us, I'm I'm uniformly speaking about pastors across the board, whether you're Methodist, Baptist, Assembly of God, whatever it may be. We've allowed the door to be opened for Satan to step in, and we've created scenarios like your past recent experience that people don't even know what prayer is, what the church is. We've gone beyond this idea of the apathy to the church church because of the relevancy to not really understanding what it is because we've kind of dropped the ball. I think we. I agree with that, and I, I I go on to say that 
through some of these campaigns that these missional campaigns that we've done which puts us more out of the box uh in front of people in the world i'm finding it you can call it generational it may be uh but there is misconceptions that that i think are highly overrated and i think some of that is based on generational uh views as well basically what i'm saying is everybody who does not come to church does not come because they are anti-church they and i think some generations think oh well we've got a this 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 generation of young people who aren't going to church they're anti-church no they're not they're unchurched and they don't know enough about church either way to be anti-church you're gener- not saying yours but there is an older generation that that do that did not come to church because they were anti-church there is a generation now that exists that just does not come to church they don't know anything about it they don't know and not that they don't care they don't know whether to care or not to care they're not anti they're just not a part of it and we also too i highly often think and say that we automatically assume either they don't want to come to church or they don't want to be asked to come to church or they would be going to church and that's highly not true or there's a lot of people who well don't mind being asked because they don't know you know they just don't know anything about it to borrow a a barna nomenclature uh, would be the nuns you know they they pick that up from the u.s census no affiliation with uh, church and a lot of what they're doing out there the nuns they're seeking spirituality but they're not seeking it from the church maybe because we've interpreted it for so long as relevancy when it's actually just a lack of understanding altogether either not being approached or um misconception in, in the public realm i mean how many times i've heard that why would i want to go to church when all you do is preach on money right i'm i'm, I'm literally going to say this that that if i preach on money in the 15 years that i've preached i may have preached twice on money and it was both in the context of a small part of tithing, you know tithing and it was a it was a Passover thing in the church. And, and the reason for that is I've been very blessed to be at churches that um, the offering plate is full. Their apportionments are already paid, and that's a Methodist thing for other denominations that are out there. But their, their apportionments are paid 100%. And if there's ever a need in the community, you can say, hey, we need to pony up, and they pony up. It's never been. I've not been. I've been blessed enough. Now, my first appointment was in the, all along those lines, but they were also two very small churches that had apportionments that were way out of proportion. But that's another issue. In nine years, I've never preached a tithing sermon based in tithing. Uh, n- never a a full yeah no, tithing haven't. sermon. I've mentioned it. Mm-hmm. I've talked about budgets, uh, and I'm I'm learning now. Keep the budget talk in the business meeting, and I, I get that. But I've never preached a full tithing sermon because, like you said. The churches I've been predominantly affiliated with have have ponied up. They've they've come off the money when they could. I, I'm I tend to be one of the supply side people that it, the money is typically there. It's just not being spent wisely. 
So okay. the budget yeah. should be looked at before the congregation is is really hounded on about paying your 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 fair share or paying your uh, your tithe and and your offerings to the church. Um, but the back to go go back to the original topic on in the political realm is Satan winning? I I would still say yes. <clears throat> but to jump back to the church thing, the bar. <laughs> Remember the ADHD thing we were talking I'm, about, Tyler? I'm, I've got it. Back to the Barna Group. The Barna Group did a study. 80% of those unchurched or those none people in that category, 80% of them have never been invited to church. Now we need to point the guns back to the church right. and say, why are we not inviting people to church? It Back into the political realm, uh, who was the old guy that used to tell the rest of the story? Oh, Paul Harvey. Paul, Paul Harvey. Harvey wrote a, a a little radio segment back in the fifties, and and if you Google uh, Paul Harvey, if I were the devil, oh yeah, <laughs> if I were the devil, I would convince people that I'm not real, right? And and so a lot of our society doesn't believe that the devil is real. We, we literally have preachers that do not believe hell is a real place <laughs> or that the devil is a real person. So there, there's two major downfalls right there. That And, and I, I guess this would kind of go back to the God loves you. Uh, a lot of people say, well, if God loves me, then God wouldn't condemn me to hell. And, and I always like... Um, Frank Turek's response to that, you didn't want to live in God's presence in this life. Why would God force you into his presence in the next life? Yeah, I've always said, even even like when you read Revelation and everybody's talking about the the those that are being thrown into hell, into the abyss. If you look at it, God gave them opportunities throughout every chapter of Revelation to do it just about. God does not send anyone to hell. He lets you go if you choose. It's a decision all of your own. Right. Absolutely. And and, and and I think, but there was another uh, study that was done, and I think it was by Barna as well, that that um, 56% of Christians believe Satan is real. That means 44% of Christians don't. 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 And, and I have to ask the question, is Jesus a liar? Right, <laughs> right. The, the Jesus that you claim to to say, yes, this is this is God, who speaks of Satan. Right. This this is is he lying? No. <laughs> right. Pew research will scare you. Pew pew will too. But um, but anyway, so so the question the question was: Is Satan winning? And in a lot of areas, he is. But but I think we've also boiled down to the fact that. Probably Satan is winning because we're not effectively communicating the gospel and its effect on people. I mean, the the the, the you were talking about uh, getting in and, and moving on towards perfection, right? It's the idea that that we're not taking that gospel message from the pulpit into our hearts as people in the pews and moving out with that. We we do a really good job, and this is this is a sermon you're going to remember. Tyler, because it was the first one I gave. Look out! But it was the idea that we we too compartmentalize 
our lives. We have mm-hmm. our Sunday life. Easily, yeah. And then we have our weekly life, and then we have our Saturday life. <laughs> and then we have our Sunday morning life. Friday night life. Whatever. Friday night life, yeah. <laughs> so, any other topics? Any other yeah. things on, well, on, no, I on mean, Satan winning? It is that, and but that to me, that, that turns it back to the internal where we're failing. And, and so, to me... It would be is Satan winning or is Christianity winning? Is that what we're looking at? Is that and that to me would be, are we properly not just the people in the pulpits, but the people in the pews, all of us as a whole, are we living into the Christian faith for its whole? And that would be the question, right? Yeah, that would be. And and that that would be. That would be definitely something we need to maybe address. That's right. In another, and it goes show. back to what you said. Or does it turn more into a social club? And and I think I think for some churches out there, it's exactly what it is. It's the place to be seen. Now, and and, and this is this is something that I've heard done before. And um, for those that aren't Methodist listening to this, I'm going to apologize for a second, but you probably will get a kick out of it. So we used to be the church of the poor the disenfranchised those on the outskirts that weren't invited in right but we have become the umc the church of the upper middle class and when we've done that we've forgotten the poor and the the disenfranchised and other things now we have churches out there don't get me wrong right that are they're Methodist churches, and they are in the thick of it. They're in the thick of ministry to the to the underserved, to the under underclass, to the lower social economic realms. I mean, they're they are in the thick of what Methodism used to be. But for some Methodist churches, they've gone to that upper middle class. It's a place. I'm going to your social club. Right. It's become a place where people are seen. You know, this is the church you need to go to if you're going to be a political leader in the community. This is the church you're going to be to go to if you need to be uh, the business about town, right? And, and that's the absolute wrong way to approach church. And it all yeah. started with Abe Lincoln's assassination. The preacher that rode the train with Abe Lincoln's body mm-hmm. was a UMC pastor. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. UMC well, wasn't back then. <laughs> Okay. Technicality. M- M-E-C, he was a Methodist Episcopal. Yeah. He was a Methodist Episcopal preacher. Yeah. And and that his the some historians look back and say this is when we went from the disenfranchised, helpless, poor hmm. to a mainline denomination. Wow. Right right then because that guy made a name for himself and the Methodist Episcopal Church. Wow. Okay. So we, at that point, some historians say that's when we moved out we into moved, the main line. We made that foot switch. Right. All right. Tyler, any closing thoughts? I'm good. <laughs> I'll end you with man. this. I, I was holding it, but I'll go with it. So the famous editor Horace Greeley told of receiving a letter from a woman who wrote, Our church is in dire financial straits. We've tried everything to keep it going. A strawberry festival, an oyster supper, a fish fry, a turkey dinner, and finally, a box social. Will you please tell us, Dr. Greeley, how to keep a struggling church from disbanding? Dr. Greeley wrote back to her a message in two words. Try Christianity. 
Amen. Amen. So for Wandering Thoughts and JTFaith.com, I'm John. I'm Tyler. And I'm Brad. God bless. Thank you for listening to JT Faith Radio. Come visit us at JTFaith.com.